Words, they get golly hard when they jumble. Jumping over hurdles, slowing birds like a turtle. Merkin fool, like Squirtle and Kate Gould. Cold blood is with this rhyme scheme, I'm a boss. This is That Got Me Thinking, and I'm Ellie Newman. This week, I've been thinking about nature and art. I've been thinking about the creative process, and I've been thinking about the public and private aspects of creativity. And I've been thinking about family and the complexity of our relationships. The complexity of our relationships within our families, with others outside our families, with nature, with art, and with creativity. My guest today is Diane B. Saxton. She was a journalist with Vanity Fair, Holiday Magazine, Huffington Post, and Greenwich Review, and covered everything from torture victims to psychics, animal rights activists, exotic travel, and movie producers, and now a novelist. We're here to discuss her debut novel, Peregrine Island. First of all, welcome, Diane. Thank you very much. And second of all, am I saying the title correctly? Is it Peregrine? Oh, yeah, thank, well, yeah, thank you so much. It's Peregrine. I used to say exactly the way you said, and uh, a friend of mine who actually did interview me said, why are you saying it like that? And and (laughs) so so is it a real place? Um, There is a Peregrine Island in Canada, but it's nothing to write home about. I mean, it's nice, I guess. It's full of birds and everything, but it's not known or anything. Uh And I certainly, I I thought I had made it up, but... Oh, <laughs> Cosmic resonance. It came into your, your consciousness. Mm-hmm. So, um, Peregrine Island is an award winning novel. Well, you're an award winning author to see exactly. I know you were going to talk about all the awards that you either were up for or you, you won. Um, and in the story, you interweave the lives of three generations of women. One valuable painting, the artist who created it, and those who would do anything to possess it, even kill. Um, and it's this wonderful mix of a family drama and a mystery. Did you set out when you began to write it to combine those two elements, or did they just grow as, as you began? Um, I knew, th- well, this book was very organic. It wasn't planned. I, you know, I read the other day, um, I'm trying to remember which author it is. It's somebody very, very well known and a a man. He said that he always gets his ideas from a thumbnail that you look far away into. And I think I did the same exact same thing. Um, I was looking at a painting one day wondering why, I've done this a lot though, wondering why the painter painted what he painted what made him or her come up with the subject matter, um, where and how and why. That really started it. Um, and then, I'm because I um, had lived on the sound and missed it, I think it just grew from there. Um, should I keep going? Well, sure, because the story's set on a privately owned island in, in Long Island Sound. So was that a place you had been familiar with in your youth or as an adult or throughout your life? No, there is no such place. Uh, the island does not exist, except in my... But yeah, I just meant, meant the, the area. Oh yeah, no, I had lived on the Sound for years and years, and we left. I lived there for about 20 years. So I knew it very well, and I lived. We lived right on the sound, um, and I missed it. And 
I think because I knew it so well and because I missed it, I set the story there. Um, it was funny you mentioned about, you know, authors and their, um, how they get their inspiration and how much the novel is produced from them or given to them. And you often hear novelists say, oh, you know, I was just the vessel and I wrote and wrote. And you hear others say, no, you know, I, I, I maybe the idea came to me, but then I, I worked and worked and drilled and drilled. And for you, this is a unique perspective because you went from being a very seasoned writer as a nonfiction writer, but leapt over that, what, I, what may or may not be a chasm, to becoming a fiction writer. Um, was the process different? Did you set about it differently? Yeah, I thought it was much more fun. Oh, that's encouraging. <laughs> and and um, what made it more fun? I guess because it, it was not, I mean, there's so much research that goes into um, articles. I mean, everything is research and everything is putting it back down in the way you want. But it's it's very, very almost mathematical. It's, it's how do I, a good way of um, comparing it would be geometry to um, algebra or something. It's just, it's much more, um, I guess it's more organic. More organic, that's what I was thinking. It's not, um, and the other is very planned. It's interesting, I'm working on trying to finish a book right now that is both, and um, I don't think I'm having as much fun with it. I was going to ask you, (laughs) was that that sort of fun, but not as, and do you think because what was fun about it was maybe the element of complete freedom? I mean, not only that you don't have to do the research, but that in a way you can't and that you have, like, your creativity is, you're not working with, with facts. You are com- completely in control and able to create whatever you, you'd like on every page or with every sentence. Yeah, exactly. And, and that's why I liked it so much. Um, I started another book that revolves around science, and I got very bogged down in the science facts, and I thought, I don't know if I'm continuing that or not, or whether I'll go to something that's a little bit less less structured. Well, it's funny because I think you have an additional pressure having been a journalist prior to jumping into writing fiction, because as a journalist, you have such a huge responsibility to be true to the facts and to do extensive research. So you're, you're sort of trained with that pressure to perform in, in that manner. Right. Well, my next book that is um, almost finished, it is finished, I'm just trying to edit it, um, is a combination of both. But that's, that's how I got into it to begin with. So, And I think it, the next one's a very important book. But after that, I'll go back to straight fiction, I think. And, and so Peregrine Island was your, your debut novel, and it... Um, did did well, um, and it, ha- it has. Ju- is, am, I, am I right? It's just come out now in recently in paperback. Right. Uh huh. Does it yeah. feel strange to be talking about it again since you have just finished this? Like you know, it's like the second child. Um, you've just finished the second book. Um, do you have a different perspective on Peregrine Island? Does it feel still close to your heart? Um, well, the other one is I interviewed a lot of people. It's how, how I really got into this subject. I mean, fiction to begin with. Um, the other one. And it's been a long time in the making. So I can't really, they're, they're not comparable mm-hmm, at all. Mm-hmm. At all. 
just um, just like children. <laughs> right, that's true. That's true. Okay, so I just yeah, want to right. mention Peregrine Island is a recipient of the following awards and honors. 2017 winner of the National Indie Excellence Award for Northeast Regional Fiction. Uh, 2017 Distinguished Favorite in Literary Fiction by Independent Press Awards. 2017 International Book Awards Finalist for Literary Fiction. 2017 National Indie Excellence Award for Finalist for Fiction. And 2017 Bronze Award for U.S. Northeast Fiction from the Independent Publisher Book Award. Awards. That is fantastic. Um, were you, I'm sure, pleased? Were you surprised? Did it put more pressure on you um, to begin the second book? What, how did it feel? Oh, no, it was wonderful. Um, the other book has, this, the other book has been a very, very long time in the making. And it was so long, in fact, that I thought, I have to write two books in between the other one. Yeah. Because the other one is a major, major, major An project. undertaking. Right. So, um, no, no, I thought it was fabulous, and I'm glad that people like it. It's it's literary. It's a literary mystery. It's not commercial. So, um, you and, know, it appeals. I'm sorry, go ahead. Oh, I was wondering if your sense of identity has shifted at all. If prior you had considered yourself, I'm sure, wholly a journalist, do you now consider yourself both? Are you now a novelist? Or does it, does it even enter into your thoughts? I don't really think about it very much. Um, yeah, I, I prefer novelist, um, but I can do both. I just... Um, Maybe and again, the one that I'm, the one I'm finishing is really a combination of both. So you've um, you've mounted so, the two aspects. You're really just a writer, <laughs> a very accomplished <laughs> one, or an author. No, an I, author. Love, I love both of them. I love both, and I love you know, I just love to write. So it's. Um, and and so let's talk a little bit more about the process of when you you sort of made that shift. Did you set out to write a book and this book, or? Did the ideas just start to arrive and you had to put paper to, or pen to paper or jump on your keyboard, whatever your process might be? Yeah, you know, a fr this is, uh, that's a very interesting subject to me. A friend of mine just died, um, or is actually she's in the process of dying, and I said to her husband last night, I, I know I know from writing that there's more to life than just life itself. And I wasn't, you know, I, this has nothing to do with religion, I don't think. Or maybe it does in another way, how they interpret it. Um, I just, uh, how do I even put this? This is what, um, it just astounds me that anyone, not only me, um, is able to Imagine something, and it just grows from there. From where? I don't know. That's what's so astounding to me. It is astounding. It's almost a, a form of meditation that, that, be, that grows into something so that maybe, you're unaware of until it, until it comes. Maybe the aspect of our soul, you know, whatever that may be. And so definitely connected with religion, but the aspect of whether we're religious or not, we all have. And yet in our culture, we maybe aren't typically as connected with it or taught to be as aware of it or how it works or just where and when it's working. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. That's why I love it so much. 
And so let's talk a little bit more about your relationship to art, because you mentioned that when you look at a painting, and paintings played such a prominent role in the story, that when you look at a painting, you're thinking about, you know, sort of who the, the, the characters, whether they be people or objects, are in the painting, but where the ideas sprung from and the relationship of, of that work to the artist, and that was such an integral part of the story. Um, did that aspect of the book develop, or was that sort of the element that you set out to explore? Um, I think that's what started the book in the first place, um, and then it, it developed itself. I mean, it just kept, how do I, I don't know, I'm trying to think of how to, how to word this, um, because there are other things in the book, like myths, and um, I named the characters different names that are Shakespearean. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's lay the story. I was going to say we could lay the story out a little bit more, and then maybe explore that that question a little more deeply in connection with the story and, and the characters. So I'll just sort mm-hmm. of a little bit lay out the base, basic, the bare bones. So we talked about it set on a privately owned island in the Long Island Sound. Um, it turns into what begins so quietly as a uh, an older woman just sitting alone, looking at this painting in her gazebo, which she does daily and often, it turns into a full-fledged investigation with strangers and other family members and um, people connected with the family and not connected with the family. And detectives are called into the case, but we're not sure by whom. Um, And during the course of the inquiries, as summer progresses, the family discovers new facts about their past, about the people who are involved, about the painting. Um, They also are learning uh, that people aren't always who they seem and that they realize maybe that they are different in some ways and deeper and maybe not who they thought of themselves as completely. And so why don't you lay out for us the, the main characters of the story? Okay, but can I just quickly go back to your previous question yes. about art? Yes, absolutely. Um, I think, uh, and I think this is important, that's why I'm sorry to go back. I think that all paintings that I know, if you think about this, revolve around an idea from someone's life or someone's story. Um, they don't just appear, you know. They, and I think the colors and the images and all the textures... Um, are fascinating, and the um, it's a story really in images, um, and I think that that's almost as moving, or more, can be more so, than the written word, um, and that's probably the reason I was so and am so interested in incorporating it into the story. So I just I did want to add. And um, Diane, do you paint? Or draw? No, I wish I could. I can draw. I can draw Snoopy. That's it. Yeah, I I have my doubts on that. I think next time we speak, you you may be be a a novelist, a writer, and a painter. So let's talk a little bit about about the story. Um, You you have a unique approach where the story is told through the three main characters, all women: uh, Winter, Elise, and Pita, um, grandmother. Uh, mother and daughter. Did the story develop through their voices, their individual voices? Yes, it certainly did. I read um, recently a quote by Henry David Thoreau that I think is really incorporates the theme 
here I'll quote the uh, I, I quote most men live lives of quiet desperation and go to their grave with their songs still in them unquote I had thought about that quote when I read it and I thought well I really don't believe that I don't I don't believe that that's true of most people um, while I like Thoreau I thought that was pretty negative um, and these three people, I think, are an example of what I believe versus what he believes. They start out there as very unhappy people. I doubt seriously whether they would have wanted to have been in the position they were in and had no idea that they would end up in the way they ended up. Um, and I think it took it took this mystery to as an impetus i and actually i use this deliberately um the plot uh the the uh, plot the mystery of the heirloom painting to open them up to make them see and but at the beginning of the book they're not very likable i don't think and at the begin at the end of the book they change um and they become very different I don't think their characters are different, but their 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 attitude towards the world becomes um, is very different. I, you, I mean, you've read it, so haven't well, you? Well, yeah, yeah. So I'm so I'm thinking about that, and I'm thinking about it in connection with the Thoreau quote because I'm I'm wondering if they became they were definitely different at the end, and I'm wondering if they became different people or they somehow by opening up to their each of them to their true selves, you know, found a place where they could make that shift from who they had sort of become due to life circumstances and choices and became where they really were then living life in a way that they were uh, telling their true stories. Yeah, exactly. Um, yes, that's exactly it. I mean, the, the painting and the, actually the sound, the water, is, is it's almost a... Um, symbolic of, of, you know, when there's storms and, and heavy seas um, and they're the way they were. And then when the, is, uh, when the sea is tranquil, it's beautiful. Well, it's beautiful in both. And, and very real in both. We're going to take a short break, and then I want to come back and talk about the relationships among the women and the relation. They're all three of their relationships to the sea and to, to nature and the play of that within and throughout the book. This is yeah, Ellie. It's okay. Really a metaphor. Yes. Okay. Great. This is Ellie Newman on that got me thinking, and I'm speaking with author Diane B. Saxton, and we are talking about her writing process, her current book, and also focused on her debut novel, Peregrine Island. And we'll be back in just a moment. This is KDPI 88.5 FM drop-in radio. Listener-supported, non-commercial, community radio. Streaming live at kdbifm.org 24-7. All right, we're back. And this is Ellie Newman on That Got Me Thinking. And I'm speaking with Diane B. Sexton. And we are talking about her debut novel, who just came out in paperback, uh, Peregrine Island. And we were talking a little bit before the break, Diane, about the relationship of the women and more so at that point about the relationship of each of them to nature and the, the role of nature and the sea um, in the book, which was 
without question to me another main character. I think we can't just say the main characters are Winter, Elise, and Peta. We have to say Winter, Elise, Peta, the sea, and maybe the the sky, and and you know pretty much most of nature as well. Um, was that from your experience, having spent so much time on the sound? Was that something that had sort of lived within you, the the sights and sounds and smells? of um, the sea and nature in that area of the world? Oh, definitely. Um, I think if you read the acknowledgments, I acknowledge that specifically, which I guess is odd. Um, You don't usually acknowledge um, a mountain or the sea, but I did here because to me, it's almost a character. It is a character. Um, So... (laughs) <laughs> and a strong character, and I'd say an integral character, you know, not not a character that the, the book could really exist without, that the story is, not only is it interweaved, but it, it plays a prominent role in, in many important aspects of the book. That's true. I mean, it's a metaphor for not only these people, but for life itself, so, um, which I think it is. I think it's if anybody's ever had um, the privilege of living on the on a body of water, you know. Well, I keep saying water; it's water. When I, I lived in England for a while, and they kept saying saying to me, "What is water? <laughs> what is water?" And I said, "Water, water." So anyway, but it's also interesting. I was interviewed by somebody in Iowa who um, said that he felt the same way about the expanse of corn waving in the wind mm-hmm. um, and he talked the same thing about that That's which so, I can understand yeah and it's so interesting because I hadn't thought about you know I grew up at the sea and so I hadn't thought about what the experience might be of reading the book for someone who doesn't have a relationship with with the sea but I guess they just in intersperse corn in the, the fields which makes perfect sense it's a similar relationship that those people must have with that aspect of nature. So in part of the book, Elise um, says the, the winter is the grandmother, Elise is her daughter, and then Peta is, is Elise's daughter. And at one point, Elise says, and we all stood up as if on cue, the sky outside darkened quickly, the clouds from the windows turned into black, rolling masses, heavy with approaching rain, making the already gloomy room fall into deep shadow. And it really is a turning point in the story, but also the, the sh- demonstrates, I think, the power of nature within the story because it really does shift the actions of every character that's in that particular scene. Mm-hmm. That's true. I don't know which scene this, that was. So that was sort um, of when they were all f- the, the kind of apex of finding everything out and deciding, you know, everyone was in the room and what were they going to do, and then the thunder strikes, and it was sort of a, uh, uh, a, a big moment. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, did, I tried to use that all the way through. Um, for Elsie, the daughter, when she gets very upset about something, she goes out into the water um, at night. And that's... Um, I, th- I think that one... Each character realizes, um, understands, I'll put it that way, differently. The mother, the grandmother, does it very kind of slowly. Um, and 
without you really knowing. And the daughter is very reactive. She reacts to everything emotionally. So you see it one, you know, boom, boom. Um, and, and then I takes physical action as well, right? Like that to me it was very striking about her. And I hadn't even thought about that until you just mentioned it. She really is like a piece of nature. You know, she action, yes. reaction. She's not contemplating. Um, she is in constant reaction mode. Yeah, she's very emotional. So she reacts. Um, and she's very sensual as well, as I know. Um, and is not as, con- exactly, doesn't, she's not as contemplative. She's not as, um, the grandmother thinks within herself all the time. That's the way she's become. Because I deliberately, and I don't know if you noticed that, I put these three people on an island um, so that I could really study them more. Because I think that when people are by themselves and they don't have society around them, you can you can see their characters much more clearly. Uh, they're they're not muddy, muddied by by other people's, you know. Um, what I mean. Absolutely, so. and, the, and the self-reflectiveness that's forced upon each of, of the characters as well within the novel because of the solitude. Right, because the other thing, and I don't know if you were going to go into that, that interests me, and it always has, I guess, and I guess that's why so many books are written about families. Families interest me because I think their feelings are much Everything is magnified in the family, the feelings, I mean. Mm-hmm. Um, so that whereas most, where most of families love each, uh, the members love each other, there are usually other feelings mixed in. You know, sometimes resentment, mm-hmm. hate, or envy, or whatever it might be uh, mixed in. Um, and in this case, in this book, it's the, it, they're so strong that they include murder or could so um, I did go into that a lot too well and, and and that's interesting because with Elise well with Elsie and I'm, I apologize I was calling her Elise earlier I got my letters backwards but with Elsie I, I like Elise better <laughs> <laughs> But with Elsie, Elsie sounds a real lighthearted sort of name, and she's just not quite that character, at least at the beginning. But but Elsie, you, it, it's and it's it's almost uncomfortable at parts of the book where she really has this, this disdain for her mother, which is e- more palatable. But then also this disdain for her daughter, and so it really is a striking sort of um, relationship to be able to as a reader sort of get comfortable with and then the 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 other family that are are come into the story who are connected with the piece of art that yes as you say like they they're resorting there's a family who's resorting to to actual murder or attempted murder um Let's talk a little bit before we talk about the, the the men, and I'm thinking too. They're all men as well. The other family who re, who are um, connected with the painting. These three women, and and I again, I love speaking with you because I just had this aha about Winter that her name is Winter, and she really is the most sort of outwardly um, reserved and maybe chilly. And um, 
isolated and very solitary yeah. among the three. And it hadn't even That's dawned on me to make the connection with her name and, and her character. It's, yeah, I, I like doing that with names. Um, and yet she has a warm, a much warmer relationship with the grandchild, with PETA, than Elsie does. And I would say sort of my interpretation is PETA's the more sort of aware, emotionally aware, contemplative, um, sort of uh, emotionally intelligent, empathetic character. Right, right, yes. Um, and yet she's the well, child. Yeah, I mean, I... I like naming the characters. Um, each of their names has a definite, significant um, meaning. Um, and the child, I, I don't know if you understood that one of the themes running through this um, is a, a fate and a fate, really. Um, and that the very old and the very young. Did you get that or not? The um, about that or not? Well, I I, I saw that in the fact. I mean, I sort of as it went on, I think I understood it more because at at, at the beginning, I'm sort of thinking I I wasn't clear on why they were letting all of these men and strangers into their home, you know, and and allowing them to stay and allowing these events to sort of transpire with seemingly having no ability to control them or act upon them. And so it took me a while, I admit I was slow in, in sort of gathering that that was, in, in a way they were going down the river, this faded river of, of these circumstances that were befalling them and they were riding along with them for whatever, whatever reason. I think, yeah, and I do go into that as well. I think you mentioned two points here, or, or combined them, I guess. Uh, one, Winter let these people in because she was so flattered. Um, because she was, there. Uh, all of these people are very lonely. Mm-hmm. Uh, not the child, the other two. And the people that were, came in, actually, uh, were also lonely. Um, and I think that loneliness does something to pe- people that they'll sometimes do things that they normally wouldn't do. And Winter was one of them. She let these people in because she was so flattered that they were so interested in her painting, not real, not thinking it through, because she didn't really know who they were. Um, and to let somebody, you know, go and do things physically to their piece of art was kind of something that she really shouldn't have done. And wouldn't have, I don't think, if she had been another, in another circumstance in her life. Um, but again, loneliness will do very strange things to people. The other thing is one of the themes that does run through this, um, and I do go into that heavily. First, I think that the child is almost the glue of the family. Um, she holds kind of the key to the innocence and to the wisdom of the very young and the very old. Um, she befriends this older man, this old man, um, during the story, during the book. And the two of them have that wisdom, the very, the, the very young and the very old, which they're important elements in running through this book, um, because I do believe in that.
Um, I think that people get reach an age finally that they understand um, what life really is. And I, and I think that the children often do that. And I hadn't thought of this before, that Jake almost appears, at least the, the old man in the, the first part of the book, as this sort of oracle um, to, to PETA. And so let me just lay out a little bit more of the story so listeners can understand, especially when we dive into the second part, that there is this um, painting, and it is Winter's sort of glory painting that, that she's very attached to and the characters within it. And these two strangers and then a third stranger, they arrive at the door, and she thinks they're from the Getty Museum to look at this painting, and it has sort of a mysterious past as far as the artist had disappeared um, 30 plus years ago and when they come into the house they're sort of a strange crew and it's unclear exactly who they are and how they're connected and they find behind the back of the painting mysteriously these other paintings that had been hidden and these letters and there is actually like they're the the they're very determined the three of them it's hard to understand what their motives are and they sort of stay and stay, then some detectives arrive, and another person who's attached with the house, Clay, who's the groundskeeper, brings in a, an art dealer um, specialist to, to verify everything. And the story sort of goes on from there, and the mystery begins to unfold, and who these people are, and what their motives are, and what had happened 35, 40 years ago, all comes into to being the, the bulk of, of the, the progression of the story and the development. So let's talk right. a little bit about the male characters, because it really does seem that in one side you have the females, and then you have the males, and they begin to interact. Um, that really wasn't deliberate. Um, that's just how it, it came. I didn't do anything um, deliberately to, um, you know, that three of them were women. Mm -hmm. Well, I did with the three women. Mm -hmm but not with the men, mm -hmm. because two of the men are, are not. One of them is the son, grandson of the painter, mm -hmm. and the other two, um, that, well, they you think that they're from the Getty, and the Getty does play a kind of role in it, mm -hmm. because they have worked for the mm -hmm. Getty. Um, but you have your doubts from the beginning. Are they really from the Getty or not? There's definitely suspicion. Right, right, right. Right, and and it turns out the other men in the in the novel, the the grandson, and then the uh, um, another family member, his brother arrives, and then the the relationship with the the um, paternal elements of of their family come into the the main element of the story. And I guess that's what I meant about the men on one side and the women on the other, as far as these two families, and and their connection. Uh, that wasn't that. Yeah, that wasn't it just really developed. It didn't play anything, um, any role, I don't think. Um, I don't, I mean, I've got to think about that a minute. I don't really think that that was deliberate. That's funny. You're the first person that said that or that's noticed that. Huh. Um, and, and also it was interesting to me that the, then they're, they are so intertwined. Um, you know, here arrives this stranger at the door and a very strong personality and, and, uh, self-assured and brash and you you know we don't know who he is and yet by the end we see there are these strong links among these two families that have gone on for generations right um yeah i didn't i don't want don't like to say too much yes absolutely 
But the thing I really, um, again, getting back to that Thoreau quote, there, this the painting, the mystery of the painting, and these people were really the conduit that to the something that changed their lives completely. I mean, and I thought about this with other people, or you, or anyone. Has there, has anything that you can think of ever changed your life um, in that way, a conduit? And you weren't even aware of it. I think sometimes. I, you know, I was thinking about that with my own life. Um, yeah, I think that it has. And, or I've made um, decisions that I shouldn't have made. And um, I think that's what happened with these people as well. So it was kind of a conduit, mm-hmm. um, a pathway, if you want to put it that way, um, to ch- change. Or fate, you can, you know, fate coincidence will um it seemed like there's an important theme or aspect at least an element running through the story as far as the different characters relationship to art and and the the creative process um as far as whether or not it is a private or public experience and whether the artist owes the public anything um and then also the just the commercial value of art and and where its um, place lies. Was that something that you intended to explore during the book? Yeah, I'm really, I'm so glad that you brought that up. And actually, you're the first person that's mentioned it, because that was important to me. And I think it's an interesting thing that we're going through in this country now. Um about that uh, with museums, with art. Yeah, I mean, and private collections. I just, I have this theory that um, if you're going to paint something and put it out there, everybody should be able to see it. It's not just for one set of eyes or a few set of eyes. And I did go into that. so I really am glad that you noticed that. Well, I did notice I that because that, I thought it came out throughout many aspects of the story. Oh, good. I'm, I'm really, you did? Where else? Because well, I, so I I'm, think it came out with the, um, the relationship of the outsiders to the piece of artwork as far as was it just a meal ticket and was it right for them to put their own priorities and needs above that of the piece of art itself and the person who created it and the family that owns it you know did they have a right to this thing and to be able to um, promote their uh, personal interests sort of contrary to what might be the interests of others involved right that's yeah, and that is one of the that is a theme that runs throughout it. And again, but you're the first person that's really brought it up, and I'm so happy that you did. Oh, well, I'm glad because, as well <laughs> because it's an important um, it's important part of the story, definitely. Um, it's a and and the plot, no question. I think that goes on today more than we think, and I think it goes in waves. Sometimes. Um, Throughout years, if you look at the century, it goes kind of up and down, and but it's always kind of fighting within itself. Um, you know, um, 
I, you know, I interviewed an artist and I just saw her again the other day. She's got, she has a, um, what do you call them? Agents who take, she, her mind isn't completely there mm-hmm. anymore. She's very old, mm-hmm. but her agent just comes and gets her art when he feels like mm-hmm. it. And she keeps most of the art though in a basement. This and her companion person said, they're all getting so moldy. And I thought, God, what a waste, what a shame. And he just goes, I think that they should be shown in a museum, not only sold. Mm -hmm. And he takes them to sell. Mm -hmm. And there's that element, too. I mean, that's that's a, it's not a um, one-step question. Is the art for the artist, and then do they have a duty to sort of, especially once they are a public artist, to continue to make their work public? and, And, or do they have the right to just be creating completely for a personal self and how what is the effect of the commercialization upon the production of the art and the creative process I know that gets touched upon as well in in the book you know will will my new art that's coming from my new self um, be accepted or rejected and does that matter and who is this creative process actually for right and when do the the, yeah. the values and the um, the sort of importance of the artist get drawn out and beaten down by the importance of the art that they've produced. It seemed like that was also a very important and and um, constant theme throughout the book. Yeah, it was. And again, I'm so glad that you brought that up because nobody has asked me that until now. And I thought, and I actually wondered why not, <laughs> because I did, I, I, I don't quite understand why not. Um, that's, that's interesting so, that you, so, so in that vein, we'll redirect back to you as far as, um, commercialism and private versus public. I had heard, uh, that, um, a movie could be in the future of this book. Is that something that you are eager to have happen, would like to see happen, um, are trying to promote? Um, I'm not trying to I think that this would be easy to make into a movie mm-hmm. because it takes place in one place mm-hmm. and it, over one summer so I think it would be simple a friend of mine who I'm doing actually a, um, an event with her uh, Wendy Walker I don't know she just came out with another book too but her first book is being made into a movie with Reese Witherspoon so um, it's kind of on my mind because I see her you know, when I do events with her, um, I think it'll be fun. I haven't really explored that at this point. If somebody's interested, I'd love it. But other than that, I haven't gone. It's going to be made into an audio book. And will and you will you be to... reading that yourself, or will that be read by an, no. another artist? No, no. Um, I'm either going to go with um, somebody I've been talking to who does this, or with um, an actor here in the Berkshires who is the head of Shakespeare here. She sounds kind of like Judy Dench. Oh, and I thought wonderful. She'd be excellent for winter. For winter. Oh, that'd be fabulous. Um, yeah. So, um, oh, I hadn't thought of that. You'll have to have three voices for each character. Oh, yeah, how, what a fantastic that. audiobook that could be. Yeah, you wouldn't have to. <laughs> I take that back. I'm directing now. Um, you have the possibility no, where right. you could have that. 
Right, because I've been fiddling with that, whether we should do that or not. Well, and that really um, is a whole new world and something to think about as far as being an extension of your artistic um, creativity. We were talking just last night about whether or not audiobooks, my, my 12-year-old son was saying whether or not, you know, if the book says kerplunk, should they say kerplunk in the audio version or should they have that noise? And we all sort of were voting towards, we kind of thought they should say kerplunk. But I, that was just our really? family's opinion. No. Well, that's really, that's interesting because the person that I'm, I was thinking about having it be done by um, did an audio book recently and where there were multiple characters mm-hmm. and I thought she overdid them. Mm-hmm, I mean, it mm-hmm. got kind of annoying after yep. a while. Yeah, that we feel that as well. Was, yeah. Yeah, we don't she like when we don't like when the same voice actor makes different voices. We are all opposed to that in our household. Right. We don't yeah, think well, they should do that. Yeah. Yeah, we find that annoying. So I'm really, yeah, I'm hoping Tina really takes up on this. So I'm waiting to hear from her now. All right. Well, when can so, we <laughs> expect the the next book? Um, that's a good question. It's very long. Um, and very and. and it's an important book. I, I interviewed people who were in there. The oldest, I think, was 109. Wow. Uh, elderly people for this. And so they're, they're, it's the story of a family through the first half of the 20th century, um, or a little bit more, I guess. Um, and I'm, it's just very long. I'm trying to, I don't know whether to, at this point, divide it or just have it long. And that's right. where I'm right. at. Right now. Well, we'll all look forward to it. And for the meantime, um, everyone can get now in paperback, Peregrine Island, the novel we've been talking about by Diane B. Saxton. And Diane, thank you so much for joining us today on, on That Got Me Thinking. It was a real pleasure talking to you. Well, thank you. I appreciate it so much. I hope that I've had gone in. I hope I went into things that um, you wanted to. Absolutely, absolutely. It was a, a very wonderful book and wonderful speaking with you. So, so thank you for both. Okay, thank All you. All right, great. This is Ellie Newman on That Got Me Thinking, and I've been speaking with Diane B. Saxton about her um, fairly recent book, but very recent in paperback edition, Peregrine Island, a novel. And this is KDPI 88.5 FM, drop-in radio, listener-supported, non-commercial community radio, streaming live at kdpifm.org 24-7.